Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Annie Monday Podcast. My name is Colin Hemphill. And I'm Gila Hemphill. On our show, we roll the virtual dice each week and must watch a randomly selected anime title. Thanks for joining us. Hello, hello. We are here for our 25th episode, and we're doing a special episode today called Annie Monday Origins. Woo, woo. Uh, we're very excited. Um, a lot of you have sent in questions that we're going to answer towards the end of the episode. And aside from that, we're just going to talk a little bit about um, anime and our origins with it and how this podcast kind of started. Yeah, it'll be a fun time. So part of this is uh, we wanted to talk about kind of a few of the the anime series that informed our opinions that we have today and the way that we feel about anime and ultimately why we talk about the things that we do on this podcast. So, Kayla, would you like to start out by telling us a little bit about your history with anime? Yeah, so for me, uh, my first interaction with anime started with Sailor Moon. Um, I have very distinct memories of watching Sailor Moon. Um, It came on Cartoon Network uh, in the 90s. And I was in elementary school, and it was right at the time that I started walking home from school, which was a real big deal for me. And my parents never really let me watch a whole lot of TV. In fact, when I was thinking about this, Sailor Moon was actually the first show that I watched that my parents hadn't directly introduced to me. We just weren't a family that watched a whole lot of TV, so I watched things like Scooby-Doo or you know, wishbone or things like that. But my parents directly put that in front of me. And at that time, I was home before either of them had gotten home from work. So I turned on the TV and there was Sailor Moon. Um, And it would have like just started by the time that I got home. And it was just this well, excuse the pun, it was this magical show <laughs> that I I just really felt like I related to Usagi and how she's she's kind of emotional and she's kind of weird and, and doesn't really believe in herself, but she believes in her friends. And I, I just really got into that. But really, Sailor Moon wasn't an anime for me. Um, It was just a cartoon. Um, I had no concept of what anime was at that time because I was still so young. And it wasn't until I started getting into like middle school and and kind of into my freshman year in high school that I understood that there was a thing called anime. And the first show that I watched knowing that it was anime was Inuyasha. I don't remember how I actually got exposed to Inuyasha. I don't know if a friend told me or if it came on a channel that... I had access to Inuyasha was the first show that I saw that I was aware of that it was anime. And that was really the gateway show that had me looking for other things that were considered anime. And then in hindsight, I realized that Sailor Moon was also anime. So, yeah. If not highly censored from the original versions. Yeah, I realized that uh, a little while back. I actually decided that I wanted to go back and watch like some of these old old shows for me. And so I went back and watched Sailor Moon. Whew. <laughs> it's a lot different than I remember. Especially because the uh even the voice acting had been remastered and um redone. And then I actually saw the the non American version, which if anyone knows 
they cut out a lot of things and they changed some of the dialogue because they were not wanting to introduce certain characters' relationships because they deemed them inappropriate. Is it the uh, Sailor Moon Crystal or... So that is the brand new HD Yeah, the reboot version. I watched the one before that. Right. So around the time that Crystal came out, they released the Viz Dub. Yes. Which was the modern... Remaster. Yeah, the modern remaster of the original series, but without all the content cut. Yes. Um, Sailor Moon Crystal is now completely redrawn and all new voice actors. uh, So it's a little bit different. My story, I think, is actually pretty similar to yours. Um, For me, it was uh, definitely Pokemon, though. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So it was about the same time in uh, elementary school into middle school, you know, before I was too cool for Pokemon. (laughs) Um, That's what me and all my friends were doing. We were collecting the cards. We were playing the video games. And the anime was on um, most days of the week at that point. It was very popular. And obviously, Pokemon being what it is today, the single biggest selling media franchise of all time, like, I think that's pretty common for a lot of people's introduction to anime or to all sorts of things comes through Pokemon. Um, So for me, that that was kind of uh, the first step that I took towards anime. But similar to you, um, it didn't register that it was something different than what I was used to seeing. Uh, because all the games came out in English, and they were popular with all of the American kids, and the anime was fully dubbed, and it's kind of well known that some of the things in that show, like when Brock is eating uh, Onigiri, <laughs> they definitely say, mm, these are great jelly donuts, and you're like, mm, doesn't really, doesn't look like a donut. They don't kind of looks rem- like a rice ball. Yeah, they don't even remotely look like donuts. Yeah. Um, so they like went out of their way to make it seem just like any other Saturday morning show you might see on, on TV at the time. Around the same time that I was watching Pokemon, uh, a lot of my friends were talking about this thing called Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> and um, I personally wasn't really allowed to watch uh, Toonami stuff at that point. Um you know, a lot of Dragon Ball Z is is for teenagers, and, and so I, I wasn't exposed to it at that point. I actually didn't see Dragon Ball until college uh, when me and Josh started watching together. Yeah, I was the same way with Dragon Ball. I was I was a latecomer. Um, so that, that wasn't a point of entry for me, um, but I knew that it existed, and I knew that it was very different than anything else <laughs> that I watched because that is, uh, you know, unashamedly anime. And um, I would say that for me, the the real gateway was Full Metal Alchemist, which in late middle school, early high school, I, I did, you know, I was staying up late at that point and uh, Toonami was on, on occasionally. And uh, one of the shows that was running uh, at that point was Full Metal Alchemist, the original series, not the Brotherhood remake. I watched a few episodes on and off, but, you know, it was it was on at an inconvenient time. So I didn't get to, like, sit down and watch start to finish. So I actually watched a lot of pieces of Full Metal and not until much later did I get to see the whole series front to back. And so I'd say that was pretty much my entry point. And uh, a lot of the ideas about anime that I've brought in have kind of stemmed from that. And yeah, that's. That's kind of my history with anime. (laughs) 
And so as, as I was kind of thinking about how we should put this episode together and what we should talk about, I figured, why don't we just, you know, kind of talk about the same things that we talk about for any episode of Annie Monday, which is we talk about the story, we talk about the characters, and then we talk about more production elements like the animation, the music, and all that. Um, and so in terms of those things, like my exposure to anime, Full Metal Alchemist is actually still kind of up there in terms of storytelling for me. Um, I feel like it's it's incredibly strong in its storytelling and characters. And to this day is one of the stories that I look at when when I think of world building, I think of Full Metal Alchemist. Uh, they've created a system and a universe that is really interesting and unique and is not really anything that I've seen in other anime series. You know, it's funny because we've both watched Full Metal. We, we've both had experiences with it, but even when we've been watching these shows for the podcast, we've never really compared anything to Full Metal. And and I think that says a lot for that show is that it is really hard to come near it in terms of storytelling and the characters. And, and like you said, just the depth of that story and the places that it goes and how deep you go with those characters, it's really hard to compare it to other things. Yeah, and I think that goes for both versions of the series, too. Um, they both have their strong points, for sure. And while today I would tend to lean towards Brotherhood in, in terms of something that I want to go watch, I think both are incredibly valuable in this world of anime that we enjoy. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. For me, uh, a recent one that I've encountered in terms of story is Made in Abyss. This show is incredible. I could not stop watching it. I don't remember how long it took us. I don't think it took us long. It's not a super long series, but we did not stop watching it for a while. Every time we sat down, we were just like, put it on. Like, let's watch the show. It was incredible. This show has a lot of different kinds of components to it. It deals with a lot of really heavy themes, but the characters are centered on children and so it's these kids experiencing traumatic things, but also like this grand sense of adventure and exploring just truly the depths of, of their world. And, and you care so deeply about them. And the world is incredible. Like the world that they've built, each level that they're going down in the abyss is incredibly mind-blowing it's they're beautiful levels and each time it's kind of this breathtaking sort of thing even as they're going closer and closer towards towards potentially their doom is you kind of get swept up in in the magic of it all yeah that was such an interesting watch for us because it has so many strong points in terms of its production and everything as well and it was hidden behind a paywall for a very long time when uh, Amazon thought that they should host their own anime streaming service, and it ended up failing. Uh, so they they eventually rolled everything that was in their subscription service into an Amazon Prime service. And so all of these exclusives just showed up, and we had access to them. And Made in Abyss is the one that I had held on to for over a year, thinking I've got to watch this someday because I've heard so much about it. And uh, yeah, as soon as it became available, we just couldn't stop. And it's it's a heavy show, too. I, I told Kayla at one point, like, I've seen shows like Another, which are, are meant to be just 
disturbing and weird. But this one I walked away with thinking it was the most disturbing anime I'd ever seen. I think so much of that comes not because they're just throwing weird things at you, um, which they do sometimes. Like the monsters in there are pretty incredible and strange, but so much of it is just like this kind of realism with these children. And I think that's what's so painful is to see like these kids get hurt both emotionally and physically. And you're just like, gosh, what how what more could they do? Like, can they can they possibly go any further? And and it's gripping because you you want them to you want them to succeed, but you're also terrified for them. Yeah. And and like you said, the whole story is about um, this young girl descending into the abyss, which is multiple levels of uh, this world. And it gets more and more difficult to descend into the abyss as you go down and also more difficult to come out um, the further down you go. Uh, it takes a physical toll on their bodies to ascend. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's the story about she's really going all in. She has no chance of going back, really. Um, but that sense of adventure and the drive that she has to go see what's down there keeps pushing her through all of this pain. Yeah, it's uh, it's a great story. Other stories for me, I mean, this one's going to come up a lot. Um <laughs> throughout this episode is Steins Gate. Mm-hmm. So Steins Gate is a great sci-fi kind of psychological thriller show. Um, it's about time travel, and it's about this uh, college student who is a little bit weird. He's an eccentric uh, scientist, and he likes to kind of play the mad scientist. And um, as you start watching this show, it's, it's a comedy. It's uh, a fun show about these people who hang out and they have these science experiments and nothing is really a big deal until they start messing with science that they shouldn't and technology that they shouldn't. And there is a very distinct point in the show where it totally flips and you realize that all along you've been watching this horrible thing (laughs) that's going to break your heart multiple times. When I first got introduced to the show by Colin, he did not tell me that this was going to happen. I've done this with quite a few people, actually. (laughs) So this was before we were dating, and I started watching, and I got to that episode, and I just started sending you so many messages. (laughs) I was so upset. And uh, I'm sure you were just laughing. It's it's an incredible story to see all of these characters and their transformations as they go through this this, um, series. And It's also, I would say, like practically really interesting as well because it's one of the few pieces of media I've seen that actually really handles time travel well. There aren't many of these. And uh, while I don't think you could look at any time travel show or movie and say, oh, it's flawless and I can't think of anything, you know, wrong with the logic of this, Steinsgate does an incredible job of dealing with time travel and making it really interesting and... um, you know, without all these glaring holes in the logic of how things are happening. And kind of the overall really funny thing about it is that the story is based on a true story of this guy who was on the internet in like the early 2000s claiming that he was from the future and that he had seen World War III and that he was here to to tell you how to stop it from happening. 
and they they take this basically like Wikipedia story and make it fact, and that's how they build the story, which I think is funny and and it works really well in a kind of sci-fi comedy. Yeah, and and that whole series is while there are parts that are upsetting and quite dark, it's it's sort of like I was saying with Made in Abyss is that you are so engaged with everything that's happening. It has this really good momentum that builds up to it so that when it does take that turn, even though it's upsetting, like you have to know what happens. And it has this incredible drive through the whole series that you're just like, you know, there comes a point in which they're just throwing new information all the time. And it doesn't feel like a dump so much as like, I'm gathering pieces of this mystery and I'm just trying to, you know, to survive the same way that they are. And it's really incredible to see the pacing of this show because this is another thing that we haven't seen done super well with a lot of visual novels is having solid pacing. Um, and Steins Gate is based off of a visual novel. And, man, their pacing is incredible. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um Go play the visual novel. There is a new version on Switch available that apparently replaces all the stills with like the entirety of the anime series, which sounds awesome. Uh, so that's a good way that you could go experience the show with um, you know all the additional stuff that you would get from the original visual novel. Or just go watch the anime series. Um, I've seen it probably five times in its entirety now, and it never gets old. Uh, I have two quick ones uh, that I'm not going to go into too much detail about, um, but just ones that I really felt like I wanted to mention. Um, and the first one is Monica Magica, which is another one that you introduced me to. Um, and I'm realizing in hindsight, a lot of my stories are quite dark. Um, and I don't know what that says about me in particular. Uh, yes, good. <laughs> um, Monica Magica has a lot of the well, magical girl stuff that I like. And it it has this incredible story where it starts off with that sort of cliched magical girl feel to it. And then it turns and it flips everything that you think on its head. But it still has this driving sense of hope, um, which I love. Because in the midst of all that dark, it could have turned really bleak. But it ends up being, well, not like, shiny and rainbows and sunshine it ends up still having this this glimmer of hope that you can kind of latch on to in the midst of all of this chaos and and it's done with so much finesse and I I really enjoyed that show and the other one that I really enjoyed uh kind of for personal reasons when I was trying to think of the reasons why I just thought well it's just a particular interest of mine is psychopaths um I really enjoyed the series because being in the mental health field, I don't see a whole lot of things that handle mental health well. Um, and I was really nervous about this show. But as I was going through it, I really saw that it actually is challenging a lot of the things that we see right now when it comes to mental health and the things that we've really dealt with in the past. And challenging it and saying, like, this isn't right. Like, something needs to be done. But kind of in this, like, apocalyptic sort of way and and I really enjoyed that series and I really appreciated the way that they dealt with the mental health stuff. I'm so excited right now. <laughs> uh, 
are you aware that both of those shows are made by the same person? No, <laughs> I don't think that's... Yeah, so uh, Gin Irobushi okay. is uh, the person who wrote both Monica Magica and Psychopaths. <laughs> okay. He is uh, colloquially known as Gin Irobutcher because his shows are traditionally like dark fantasies kind of about a lot of people dying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, both both the same guy. Okay, now I feel like I need to explore more of this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought I would also quickly call out, uh, I didn't have a specific thing to go for here, but in terms of storytelling, just a, a, a writer that I generally like is uh, Mamoru Hosoda, who is uh, most well-known for like Wolf Children and mm-hmm. The Boy and the Beast mm-hmm. and The Girl Who Leapt Through Time and Summer Wars and all of these great movies. Yeah, really good um, movies. He's kind of considered a, a contemporary of Hayao Miyazaki in the sense that like he, he came from um, Studio Ghibli and kind of did his own thing and made these great movies that are really good stories. Yeah, I've I've enjoyed everything that I've seen from him so far. Uh, so, Kayla, are there any characters that you would like to point out that uh, have been influential to you? Yes. <laughs> I'm so excited to talk about this one because um, I've recently fallen in love with a character. Um, so recently, Colin introduced me to the show K-On!, which is Kayon. <laughs> yes. It is probably the cutest show ever. Um it and it's cute in a way that's like doesn't feel childish at all. Um but it is just the right balance of feel good and heart and I just really love it. And I actually had a really hard time thinking of a favorite character from that show because I love so many characters from that show. <laughs> yeah. But I decided to settle on Moogie. Um, Correct choice. <laughs> in part because she is, she's just a sweet girl that comes from a life of privilege, but she doesn't, she doesn't act like the typical anime rich girl. Um, she doesn't like flaunt it around or think that she's better than anyone, but she's also not trying to hide it. She just, she just sort of like uses it to help her friends and to like make them more comfortable so like she always makes the the girls in the band tea and she always makes them cakes and at some point they realize like she must be using really expensive tea and she has these beautiful tea sets and they realize that she has money but she's always using it to like help the girls be more successful and not for like personal gain or anything and she is just she's just the cutest and I love her and I just really enjoyed her character on that show. Yeah, you can also buy uh, a keytar that is made by Korg, which is the brand that she plays in the show. Uh, and it's got like an anime picture of her holding the keytar or like on the box of the on, on the instrument. Uh, it's great. And if they weren't like rare and expensive, I would totally want one. Which is funny because she doesn't play a keytar in the show. No. She just plays the the keyboard. Yeah. yeah. I guess they thought they could sell more specialty keytars <laughs> than just regular keyboards. They're probably know. not wrong. Yeah, so for the characters that I was thinking about, um, I had to throw Steins Gate in there. <laughs> and kind of thinking about all the characters, um, there's a lot of good options in this show. Um, Mayuri is a great character. Mm. Um, 
like kind of Kayla mentioned earlier with psychopaths, um, there aren't a whole lot of shows that deal with mental health. And I think Steins Gate is kind of one of those shows that quietly deals with it rather than directly. Um, all of these characters kind of have quirks and they're pretty weird and unique. Um, but Mayuri is kind of like thought to be a character who experiences pretty severe mental health issues. Uh, and likewise, Okabe is kind of, um, Okabe being the main character, the scientist guy, in the second season of that show, he's shown like actually taking medications and his personality changes between those seasons. And a lot of the show is, is Okabe like dealing with who he really is. Is he really like this mad scientist who, who hears from, you know, secret organizations who are out to get him? Or is he just a college student and he uses this as a way to like deal with the things he doesn't want to deal with? Uh, and that's the questions you kind of ask throughout the show. Uh, I think that make him really interesting. Uh, and then Makise Kurasu is good because she's a really smart woman in a show about science. And that's not common either. So I would say all of those are great characters, but Okabe is awesome, and I just can't get over how great he is. Yeah, the first time I watched Steins Gate, I had a lot of conversations with you about Mayuri and my thoughts about what she must have been experiencing, and you were like, just wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, another character for me... Uh, comes from the show Cells at Work, uh, which is another fairly recent show. I am I am full in on Cells at Work. Um, they even had like this spinoff series that was kind of like the opposite of it, and I love that one too. Um, but the I had a really hard time trying to pick between the two main characters, which is a red blood cell and a white blood cell, um, and I decided to go with the white blood cell. Mostly because this character, he's called a neutrophil, he himself doesn't have a whole lot of personality. He just kind of, like, does his job. But it is used for comedic effect. As a white blood cell, he is completely white. Skin's white. His hair's white. His All his clothes are white. And his job, if you know anything about anatomy, is to kill off viruses, germs, bacteria in order to protect the body. And he does so with a knife. Violently. <laughs> yes. And he's always ends up like covered in what seems like blood, but that can't possibly be. Yeah, there, there's blood inside of the, the human body that's operated with blood. It doesn't really yeah. work, but don't think about it too much. Sure. But um, he's always so stoic and serious about it, but it's always with comedic timing. So it ends up being this really hysterical kind of moment. And he ends up kind of protecting the red blood cell and just kind of keeping an eye on her. And and their dynamic together is just really hysterical. And I feel like he's a big reason why their dynamic works so well. Um, because without him, I don't feel like her character would be as good. So I decided that he was going to win out on this one. We uh, We actually considered cosplaying as them at one point. Yeah, it was going to take more work than uh, we had time for because we decided to do this like two weeks before Halloween. <laughs> yeah, I think it's still up in the air, though. Like if we ever uh, do a live show at an anime convention, I would totally 
cosplay as these two characters. Yeah, definitely. Uh, my other selection is a pair of characters, actually, because I think they work best together. Uh, it is Nano and Hakase from Nishijo. Yes. Uh, this is Nishijo is, is a weird show. It's technically a slice of life, but <laughs> it's not like a normal life. It's very over the top and uh, exaggerated and everything is crazy and out of control, um, which is why it's called Nishijo, which is roughly translates like ordinary life. <laughs> um Hakase is a young girl. She's like, I don't know how old, but she's pretty young. I think they've said eight. Yeah. And she is an award-winning scientist (laughs) who has won like the equivalent of the Nobel Peace Prize in Japan. And she lives at this house where she makes inventions all day and she eats sweets and drinks milk. And that's about it. And one of her inventions is a robot who she has named Nano. And Nano is a high school age girl who uh, has like a big wheel on her back that you would wind up to like make the robot go. And all that Nano wants is to be a human and to have a normal life, go to school and make friends and stuff like that. But she is so worried that people will think she's a robot that she won't go out in public or uh, like do normal things and you come to find out like the wheel on her back doesn't do anything uh, Hakase just put it on her because she thinks it's cute <laughs> and Nano's body has like all of these hidden features that <laughs> she doesn't know about like her thumb comes off and turns into a thumb drive her uh, arm will open up and a uh... oh yeah like a sweet roll will yes, come out yes and Hakase is like, oh, yeah, made that earlier, and it's a snack for me. Thank you. <laughs> and then and then when Nana's like, oh, is there one for me? Hakase's like, no, there's just the one. <laughs> <laughs> She's, Hakase, that is, is such a great kid character yeah. um, in a way that you rarely see in anime. She is so, like, perfectly childish, but also incredibly brilliant <laughs> and the way that she uses her brilliance for the stupidest things is so funny. Uh, there's one more character I would probably bring up with that duo to make it a trio, and that's their cat. Sakamoto-san? Yes. Sakamoto-san is the best. Um, he is just a, a stray cat that they found, and Hakase ends up putting a... making a... It's like a handkerchief, scarf... A scarf thing, yeah. That allows him to talk and he's hysterical because he is like the only adult in the house and he's very proper but like he's he's also perfectly a cat like if you think of how a cat would sound and act like he is what that is yeah but he's surrounded with children (laughs) yeah like they put the scarf on him and you're expecting like a cat talking and and cute like cat things and he's just like don't you think that's enough petting? <laughs> like, I'm an adult. Uh, and then the the professor, Hakase, tries to, like, call him Sakamoto. And he's like, you should call me Sakamoto-san. Be proper. Like, I am your elder. <laughs> um, but he can't do anything about it because he's a cat. Yeah. So these two just, like, keep going on being kids. And he can't get any control over his household. 
Oh, man. Uh, it's funny because uh, that is like one segment out of that show. There's multiple segments. And that one is pretty classic. It There's never like a dull moment, even though out of all the series, it's probably the least exaggerated. But man, it's hysterical. So uh, with all those great character selections, uh, I did feel like there was one worthy of a shout out. But I wasn't going to dig into it because it's overwhelming. And that is My Hero Academia, which has more characters than probably any other show I've seen. And a lot of them are extremely good. Yeah. And what the show does extremely well is balancing out the characters in, in terms of like the show isn't just about Deku. It's for sure an ensemble cast, but they don't ever spread themselves too thin. They spend a good amount of time on each character, developing them, interacting with them, um, and bringing all the characters together in a meaningful way. And so it's it's almost impossible for me to point to one or two characters and say, these are the best characters. Yeah, they do a really good job on that show of diving in just enough that you can like care about a character that you need to care about, but not so much that you feel like, okay, this is so-and-so's arc. This is so-and-so's arc. Is It's happening in a really natural way that feels like this is how I would get to know this character if I if this character was real and I was existing with them. Um, and I think that's hard for a lot of shows to do with a big cast and a cast that they keep introducing new people to. And it feels very natural and it's very easy to keep track of characters. So while you can point to Deku and Bakugo and All Might as kind of like the big stars of the show and their interactions being so funny and really powerful, they wouldn't be anything out without the huge cast of of other characters who really make that show great. Yeah, I would agree. And I almost hate to bring that up as kind of the last point because I think when we were talking about Nishijo earlier, we both got very excited about talking about animation. Yes. So I would love to kind of circle back to Nishijo for this because the animation in this show is incredible. And it's not because it's this ultra detailed kind of thing, but the style that it has chosen it's very cute it's very simple and the colors are all very pleasing like i was i was looking back and i was trying to figure out like what is so appealing about this and it has this really good balance of typically it uses a lot of like pastel colors but in a way that doesn't feel like it's being washed out at all but it does make really good use of bold colors when things do start to get a little out there and and it's incredible because it, it does have a good sense of like it'll alter some of the like the art style, the drawing style, like when certain other crazy things are happening. And and I'm just kind of blown away by how awesome it looks and how clean it is in a way that it doesn't feel like somebody spent a ton of money on this, but it feels like somebody spent like a lot of quality time with it. And that has a really good, well, I keep saying the word feel. It does. It has a good feel to it. It's it's funny because they seem to utilize their budget in such an incredible way because 
the vast majority of the show is very quiet, very simple, laid back. It's it's a you know it's a slice of life, but when things get crazy, they put so much effort into their animation and the tiniest little details and the most over-the-top like changes in animation and art styles that I've seen in pretty much any show. One example of a very early episode, maybe even the first episode, is that a character is trying to prevent a piece of sausage from falling on the ground. It like slipped out of her chopsticks uh, during lunch. And there is like a three-minute scene of this sausage being thrown around the classroom and like the characters diving for it and it going through all these obstacles and the level of detail and the changes that they make to the animation style throughout that one scene are so ridiculous and, and detailed and I absolutely love it. Yeah, and when we say like these chaotic things are happening it's it's really it's slice of life things it's things that happen to you or that could happen to you some some things not so much but um it's things that could happen to you but like the extreme responses like the crazy sort of moments that you have in your head of like wasn't that so awesome that i caught that out of the air and it like expands on that kind of moment that you have in a way that is just really fun and connecting and because they go over the top with the animation it it kind of feels like how you felt in that moment when you did that like weird but cool thing yeah um man there are some great scenes i could point out um but really you should go watch this show if you haven't it's uh easily i would say in my top five anime just ever if you start from the beginning there's a scene where nano the robot is like cooking some fish on a grill and a cat like takes the fish from her and she goes after it and is like, no, that's our dinner. And um, she eventually gets down this alleyway and sees that somebody else is walking in the cross section uh, and she's about to run into him and is like, oh no. And, and like kind of slips a little bit and is about to, you know, try to keep herself from running into this guy. And you would think that's just what's going to happen. They're going to run into each other and they're going to fall. No. <laughs> there is a nuclear explosion when they when they run into each other. And Nano is blown uh, into the sky and like miles away from where she was uh, and is on a rooftop and is on the rooftop the rest of the episode. And this boy she ran into, like, all of the stuff he was carrying is gone. And, and I, I mean, it's just so funny. Uh, also, without giving anything away, the dog scenes are the best. Yeah, one particular dog scene, you should, you should see, uh-huh. the, see the show through to that part. Yeah, uh, whenever Colin's having a bad day, that's... I will show him that part, and it always cheers him up. Think like slice of life, but also Dragon Ball Z. (laughs) Okay, so other shows. I I have a lot to talk about in terms of animation, so I'm going to kind of gloss through it because there's a lot of things I could point to. Uh, This is kind of one of the things that drives me to really appreciate anime for what it is. Not to say that Western animation isn't good, 
but a lot of times the the animations that we're exposed to over here are very different and they're very highly produced huge teams when you talk about like a pixar production that is hundreds and hundreds of people uh, spending a billion dollars to make a movie what japanese animators are able to do on less is really impressive and uh, especially some of the specific art styles that they use uh, so some of my favorites i would say uh you've got your classics your gynax productions like evangelion and eventually they went on to make fully coolie um which both have exceptional art and then that studio eventually broke off and formed a studio called trigger and uh trigger is kind of the biggest animation studio in recent years i would say right from the start when they did their first production which is called kill a kill everyone was kind of like oh this studio is really producing some amazing stuff um so all their stuff looks really cool we also talked about made in abyss earlier uh i would say something really interesting about made in abyss is that it looks like a movie uh it doesn't look like your your typical anime series that you would see that plays out over 26 episodes or whatever. It looks more like a Studio Ghibli kind of production. Yeah, each and every episode. It's it's really incredible. When I was saying that when you go down each level it and it's breathtaking, it's it's incredible to look at each time and you you think like, well, it's not you know, how much better can it get, really? And every time, it's incredible. And, uh, I mean, I could go on with a whole lot more titles from here, <laughs> uh, but I would say if you haven't seen any animation from a movie called Redline, you should check it out. It is not my style of movie. It's about, like, dudes with pompadours who race cars in space or something. I don't really remember. But I think it still holds the record for the most hand-drawn frames of animation of any production ever. It's over a million hand-drawn frames wow. all put together in this brilliant, smooth animation. That's incredible. Uh, it's really cool looking. And one of the other production things that we like to talk about sometimes uh, that we don't have a whole lot of success with <laughs> in the shows that we have watched for Annie Monday is music. Yeah, I uh, I have kind of a cheat one for my first one um, because it's a show about music. K-On! <laughs> it is K-On! Um, I listen to the soundtrack for this series all the time. It's, it's on my reoccurring like Spotify list. In fact, when I was looking at my 2018... Like, most popular plays, K-On! was at the very top. Like, multiple songs. The music is incredible. And it's it's funny because the show is about these girls who are, like, they're creating a band together. And one of them in particular is just learning how to play. And they're able to do it in a way that is very endearing. And, like, you watch her become more and more talented with the guitar. And the music kind of evolves from that. And it's so enjoyable. And it's not like the the music from the band isn't like the m most incredible music that you've ever heard ever. But for an anime, it's done so well. Um, the music is incorporated in a really fun way. 
the intros and outros of that series are awesome. Like, I also have those songs on my playlist. So not only is the show itself really cute, but the music is great. It's also extremely rare that we have access to those on Spotify. Usually anime soundtracks don't make it over here. Uh, We just don't get the licenses for them. So the fact that the actual original songs are on Spotify in the U.S. is really cool. Uh, One thing that this show does really well is um, when a lot of music shows try to have an English dub, um, they try to dub over the music, but they don't change the song at all. And so the lyric, the English lyrics just won't fit and it just won't feel right. It won't flow the right way. And that's something that can be really frustrating with shows that are about music when they get dubbed over. But this show just decided to not do that. So they they decided that while the rest of the show would have an English dub and it's done very well, I would recommend it. The music itself is still in the original Japanese and you don't feel like you're missing anything. It flows really well. It doesn't feel disruptive at all. It actually makes the show work really well and makes the music all that much better. Yeah, and I, I haven't 100% confirmed this, but it sounds like the English voice actors like actually went through the process of learning those songs in Japanese. So you don't even lose like the tone of their voice through the whole process. Yeah, I definitely agree that it does sound like it's the English voice actors singing in Japanese, which I think is why it it works so well. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of English dubs of uh, Japanese songs, uh, I want to talk about a band called Radwimps. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so Radwimps is a great band. Um. A friend of mine introduced me to them long before the movie that we're going to talk about came out, uh, and that movie is Your Name. Mm. It was a, a huge success, like in the U.S. and Japan, was one of the biggest selling anime movies of all time, uh, and it's it's a very good movie. It's amazing. But one of the best parts is that it features a soundtrack, original soundtrack, written and performed by Radwimps, which is... Uh, this great Japanese alt-rock band, and um, they just have, like, several albums that I frequently listen to straight through, and the soundtrack for Your Name is no exception. It's extremely good. This one is also on my Spotify playlist. Yeah. So it is worth noting that, like, the the lead singer of that band uh, I think lived in the U.S. for a while. He he did some school over here or something, so he's fluent in English. Um, and you can hear that occasionally he'll sing English, and there's, like, no weird accent. There's no weird lyrical choices. Um, it feels much more natural than a lot of the English that you hear in Japanese music. He did, however, produce the same album for the movie, in English. He, he re- redid the whole soundtrack for the English dub, uh, which is crazy. Like, good on him for doing all that work. Uh, but if you are listening to the English version of the movie, the songs don't quite work as well as I think they do in, in the original. And that's for the same reason that we were just talking about is because when you're 
writing the music intending for it to have lyrics you write it with the rhythm of whatever language that you're using and when you try to translate it into English or any other language the the rhythm of that language just doesn't always fit the same and he does a great job um it's it's not that it's bad it's just not quite as good as the Japanese and the Japanese is amazing um and the English is is good but man the Japanese is so good um another one that I want to mention real quick that I feel like if you've had any exposure to this show you will know exactly what I'm talking about and if you don't then you definitely need to check it out and that is Cowboy Bebop (laughs) okay okay you don't need to do that (laughs) Boom, 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 All right. <laughs> okay. And apparently that's going to be it. I have nothing. No. Um, no, this show is incredible. And so much of that is because of the music. It is very different than a lot of shows that are out there. It chose a very stylistic music to go with which is this very, it has this very big band jazz sort of feel to it. And the show feels like it blossoms out of that theme. Um, And it is amazing. Uh, And there's another show that's done by the same director, Samurai Champloo, that does this with hip hop music. And that is also very cool for the same reason is the show has this feel of the music that is in it. And it almost feels like the music is the star and the show is like an accompaniment to that music. And you should definitely at least go watch like the intro and and at least maybe even the first episode to just get a good feel of how the show really utilizes the music to its benefit. Yeah, so both of those shows are also on my list. Um, <laughs> I knew they would be. Uh, yeah, I, I guess if there's anything I can add to that, it's just to explicitly call out some of the people who are responsible for those shows, uh, which is Yoko Kano is the the writer behind Cowboy Bebop's music. Um, and she put together like this huge orchestra super group thing, I guess, called the Seatbelts. And they're the ones who are responsible for Tank, which is the opening theme song mm-hmm. to that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really spectacular. That that band was like uh, a collection of musicians from New York and like Paris and a bunch of other places or something. And what they put together is so cool. And with Samurai Champloo, they went out and found all of these great trip hop artists. Uh, Nuja Bass is probably the, the most well-known of those. Uh, he's a Japanese producer who is really popular and has some, some great stuff. And the soundtrack that he put together for that show, it's like you said, like the music is the star and that kind of trip hop feel is what becomes the character Mugen uh, and how his his style of fighting as a samurai is based on this hip hop that is playing behind him. It's really cool because it feels it, it doesn't feel just like he's dancing and, you know, and then it's like, oh, yeah, and he beat up some guys while dancing. But his fighting has this perfectly in sync rhythm to it. Ah, oh, it's incredible. 
and the other characters in the show as well, like the Ronin that they travel with, um, when he's fighting, it's totally different. So yeah, bo- both of those great soundtracks, um, both really good shows too. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely worth checking out. I have two more that I'll drop real quick. These I, I kind of have a little bit actually less interest in because they're more like a movie soundtrack that uses licensed music rather than creating a score and creating all this new music for the show. Uh, not to say that those are lesser, but I could just as easily say I like these bands, not so much that I like the soundtracks. Uh, one of those is Fooly Cooly and the soundtrack by The Pillows, which uh, when they put together Fooly Cooly, The Pillows are not a big band. They at least weren't before the show. Uh, so this director just kind of liked them a whole lot and had probably seen them at like some some bar somewhere in Japan and uh, put all of their music into the show. And it's great. Uh, the way that it works so well with that world and uh, this kind of building of the character who is trying to figure out how to become an adult, a lot of their songs kind of fit really well with that. I remember how excited you got when they had announced that they were going to be making more of Fooly Cooly, and you were like, well, it's going to be nothing without the pillows. And then they said that the pillows were coming back to do the music for the show, and you were like, I'm sold. I'm in. Yeah, and then they said that the pillows were going on a U.S. tour, (laughs) which actually just meant California. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Disappointing. (laughs) Uh, And the other one is Psychopaths. It has a, a good score. Um, I, I enjoyed it, and it worked really well for the show. That was done by Yugo Kano, not to be confused with Yoko Kano of Cowboy Bebop. Mm-hmm. Um, but in particular, I want to point out uh, the intro and outro music. So good. The intro is done by a band called Ling Tosite Sigure, and I have listened to their album Imperfect like thousands of times. It's, it's really amazing. And the outro music is done by a band called Egoist, and it's also very good. But man, that Ling Tosite album, um, I just, I love the heck out of it. <laughs> and um, the guy that's kind of the lead of that band also um, has gone on to do some solo stuff as well. He did the intro song for Tokyo Ghoul, which was also an amazing intro song. All right, everyone, this is uh, already becoming a pretty long episode, so I think we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back shortly and get back to it. Welcome back. I know that that was much needed. (laughs) One thing that we wanted to talk about here is bringing up certain shows or movies that have maybe special qualities to them that don't really fit into this category. Maybe shows that don't really get the same sort of recognition that a lot of mainstream shows get. So what would one of those shows be for you? Yeah, when we talk about hidden gems or or whatever you want to call this kind of this kind of thing that we're talking about, uh, I think of my friend Troy. 
<laughs> he is like a connoisseur of weird anime that nobody has heard of. Yeah. Um, and so most of these come from him, I would say. The one that kind of comes to mind for me is Paprika. Uh, it's a movie by Satoshi Kon. And if you know anything about that writer-director, um, he passed away some years ago before he was able to complete a whole lot more um, of the stuff that he had been working on or was planning to do. And he's most famous for a movie called Perfect Blue. But he did some other films that uh, were pretty well known, like Tokyo Godfathers. And I think Paprika is probably my favorite of his movies. Uh, it's a really interesting film about dreams. And Troy always said it was like what Inception should be because it kind of deals with that of like investigating people's dreams and looking into them and kind of uncovering what that means about the person. Uh, what I loved about this movie is that when they dive into the dreams, it it really felt like a dream and the sort of surrealness that can happen. Because um, I think with like a movie like Inception, it still felt very possible. All of it still felt very rooted in the real world. And they just kind of speak away the things that you often experience in your dreams. And this movie in particular had some of the vibrancy that you have with dreams for those of you that can remember dreams like myself. Not me. <laughs> um, that there are dreams that you can have that are incredibly bright and vivid and don't make a lot of sense. But you can make sense of them in a weird way. Um, but conversely, like, there's other dreams that are dark and challenging and they do feel almost real. And this movie does a really good job of balancing both of those things. And and it was kind of incredible to watch. Yeah, two, two other Troy selections that I will uh, mention real quick. Uh, one is Tekon Concrete which um, uh, it's it's an interesting movie about these two kids who kind of grow up on the streets of this world that I guess is kind of the real world, but kind of not. Uh, it's a place called Treasure Town, I think. And uh, it's about their interactions with the Yakuza, which makes for an interesting movie. Um, and the, the characters are named Black and White, and it's kind of about this distinction between Black, who is the older brother, and he's kind of dark and grim, and his younger brother, who's full of life and energy and is trying to figure out all of this world. And uh, the other one to mention is Mind Game, which is a very strange movie. I don't know if my takeaway from the movie is like, this is a great movie, but it does some really cool things with animation that I think are worth checking out. If you at least have a chance to check out the trailer for it, you'll see how weird it is. Uh, I think for me, the show that I wanted to bring is actually a show that was received pretty well um, when it was running, but it's not one that I see people talk about at all anymore, uh, and that is Yu Yu Hakusho. Um, it, it came out around the same time that Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z was out, um, and like I said, at the time, even it, some of its ratings did better than, than Dragon Ball, but it's just something that hasn't lasted in, in the anime consciousness, um, for a lot of people, but this was something I discovered later. I discovered this in grad school and 
to me, it still really holds up. Um, it's this weird, quirky kind of show um, that has a lot of different components to it. It has the supernatural element, and it has this whole like fighting tournament sort of feel to it as well. Um, but the characters are all really great and endearing, and and they all have growth, which is really unique and different in a show that is predominantly about beating things up. Um, that there's a lot of heart to it, and I I really enjoyed the show, and it's something that I think is kind of a shame that it doesn't really get mentioned, you know, some 20 years later. Yeah, I would agree. I, I definitely didn't hear about it at the time that Dragon Ball was the big thing that everyone was talking about. And uh, to this day, I still haven't really seen it. Like, I think you had a couple episodes on at some point while we were dating, but I've never really, really sat down and watched it. It's on the list. So I think now that we've talked about kind of our individual experiences with anime I think it'd be really nice to talk about what has been our shared experiences. And one of those is talking about what were the first kind of shows or movies that you and I watched together? Well, it just so happens that our second date was an anime movie. It was. This was somewhat accidental that it happened, but it was like the day after our first date, I had tickets to go see a movie. And the person I was going with couldn't go, so I asked you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I went, and it was great. Yeah, uh, we went and saw The Boy and the Beast, which is, uh, as I mentioned earlier, is a Mamoru Hosoda film. And yeah, it was really good. Um, I wouldn't say it's my favorite of his films. Uh, I definitely love Wolf Children. I think that's still my favorite of his movies. But it's it's a really interesting story with good characters. Um, I think it was kind of described as like the Jungle Book if it were anime. Yeah, this was my my first uh, exposure to this director, um, and you were like, "Hey, I really like this director. I think you'll really enjoy this." But I have no idea, so <laughs> I hope it's okay. And it was great. I really enjoyed it, and I felt that this was probably a good one for me to start on and then build up to um, some of his really classic movies um, because I just I was able to grow in appreciation for him instead of maybe how some people might experience it with being like well man wolf children is so incredible Um, yeah for me I was kind of able to go from still a good movie to even greater and greater movies that was also your first exposure to the Alamo Draft House. It was. <laughs> uh, and now you're tainted forever and you can't go back. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'm 100% there <laughs> the way that you are, but. <laughs> yeah, but for real, like if you live somewhere with an Alamo and you're still going to a normal theater, like why? Okay, we are not <laughs> being sponsored by Alamo. Don't need it. <laughs> this is from the heart. It matters. Uh, anyways, what I think is interesting is that that movie actually wasn't the first anime that you and I watched together. Um, because before we started dating, you had introduced me to Steinsgate. Yeah. I don't even remember how this started. Somehow it came up in conversation and you were like, 
you need to watch this thing. And so I got onto like Funimation or something and I only had access to the first four episodes and I was immediately hooked. Uh, You actually kept teasing me about this show because I didn't have access to the DVDs, but you had them all. And so you would send me pictures of you putting the DVDs like in your PlayStation so that you could watch them, knowing that I couldn't watch them. It was very frustrating. (laughs) But it was also a way that you got us to hang out more because there came a point in which you were like, you might not want to watch some of these alone. I think in part because you wanted to see me freak out about the the big moment in that show. Um, But that actually kind of was a big proponent in us moving from like hanging out and being friends to dating. Yeah, I think at that particular time, especially I was on a kick like, hey, if you watch anime and you haven't seen this, or if you don't watch anime and you're looking for where to start, that was always my suggestion. Even today, um, with the exception of maybe like a Mamoru Hosoda film being a good place to start. Um, Steins Gate is a great series for a beginner. It has like a minimal amount of super anime stuff in it. Like uh, Ferris, the cat girl who works at a maid cafe. Very anime, but the rest of it is not like that at all. Yeah, it's very approachable as as an American, as a Western individual. You don't have to know all of those tropes to understand the humor or understand the things that it's presenting to you. Yeah, and especially because the the English version does a great job of adapting the script for an English audience as well. Yeah, the voice actors in the dub are phenomenal. Yeah, J. Michael Tatum not only playing the lead character, but I can't remember if he was the adaptive script writer for that, but he did so much work on that show because he loves it so much. And... You can tell it comes through on the show. Absolutely. From there, I mean, we watched a lot of shows together. But along the way, a lot of it was like, oh, have you seen this one? And it was like me telling you about a show that I liked that I had seen before or the other way around. And in terms of things that we like discovered together that were newer shows or older shows that neither of us had actually had a chance to see. um, One of them, I, I think, that we talked about is Cells at Work, which... We briefly mentioned earlier, it's it's a great show um, about, like, the science of the human body and how all the elements are anthropomorphized as these employees who work in your body. And it's so cute and really, really actually educational. Yeah, it's, a, it's surprisingly accurate. And what's great about it is that it actually explains, like, a lot of the different components that the different cells in your body, what their purpose is for. And like one of the episodes, it's about allergies. And it explains like how your body responds to allergens coming into your body and what medicine does and how that can, you know, either help or not help your body, depending on if you got the right medicine or not. Um, And it's really fun and endearing to see how these cells love their body so much and take their work so seriously and the impact when things you know like when you scrape 
your arm and there's a big gaping hole and they have to fill it and and it's done in a way where like you are actually learning quite a lot but in a way that is really enjoyable um that doesn't feel childish the way that maybe you know I think of like the magic school bus right like that was enjoyable when I was a kid but going back you're sort of like okay it's a lot of kid humor this is sort of that same feel but in a way that is more approachable as an adult. It speaks to me as somebody that can understand the big terminology. Yeah, and I can't believe we've made it this far and haven't talked about the platelets. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, that was also a, a contender for favorite character. Right. But it felt like, well, we can just go into the platelets. Okay, so go look up a video of the platelets if you haven't seen the show yet. Um they're not hard to find. No. They're prominent in a couple of episodes. Uh, the platelets are like responsible for closing the gap when you have an abrasion. And they are anthropomorphized as like little school kids. And they all work together so hard. And they're so cute. They're and, the cutest. And when the platelets are around, nobody can do their job. They're just like, oh, the platelets are here. <laughs> yeah, and and you have the same reaction, like the way that all the cells are like, oh, let me like help you or like look how cute they are trying to carry that webbing thing down the stairs. Like, it's so cute. <laughs> yeah. And they're just so polite and adorable and it's they're just the best. I think uh, another one of... The shows that we have talked about um, a little bit is My Hero. Um, We went into this before, so I won't go too deep into it. But that is a show that I was kind of surprised at how much both you and I really enjoyed that. One, because you've not been super into the superhero thing, which is fine. Um, And I am kind of over the whole, like... We're going to have the big fight, and then we're going to have another big fight tournament, and then we're going to have an... And I'm, I'm just done. Uh, and this show doesn't do that. Um, this show has done superheroes in a way that is really cool and endearing, and it really addresses a lot of a lot of the issues that we just don't talk about a lot with worlds that have superheroes in them, like... How do people function that have powers? In a world where powers are normal, what does that look like? And and it talks about how there are professional heroes, heroes that get paid to use their powers to help out the citizens. And what does that look like? And that they have to, you know, address things like advertisements and like getting licensure and actually going to school for those things, but also the realization that not everybody who has a power is actually capable of being a professional superhero. And the world that it builds is just really cool and answers those questions in a way that I don't see very often. Not that it's perfect. Like um, There is a glaring issue in that show that a lot of people have pointed out, which is that Uh, What you might call the main character, Deku, is one of the people, one of the rare people who is born without superpowers. 
and he invests his entire life into going to the Hero Academy as a professional superhero, and he doesn't, like, learn other skills. Uh, so that school teaches you how to do other things besides being a hero, and he doesn't he doesn't think, like, well, I'll go do that, so I'll at least be close to the superheroes. He's like, no, I'm just going to be a superhero even though I don't have powers. So his entire life plan doesn't make any sense. Um until obviously the 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 plot kicks in and you know he does get powers spoiler i guess it's in like the first episode yeah <laughs> yeah and that's a part that could have been really cool to address especially when they talk about how 80% of the population doesn't or 80% of the population does have superpowers and 20% doesn't it could have been cool to see him as somebody in the minority Still having those aspirations and figuring that out along the way. Yeah, but still, like we said, um, the cast of characters is amazing. Um, The production is really good, and uh, you should be watching it. So, Kayla, is there anything on the horizon that you are excited about or a little bit afraid of? Anything in our anime futures that you would like to talk about? I feel like you're hinting at something in particular, and I'm I, not going to currently address that I one. I don't know what you could possibly mean. <laughs> what I am excited for, uh, which this is going to kind of come out of left field, and there's a very particular reason why I'm excited for this show, uh, is the remake of Fruits Basket. And my main drive for the show is not about the plot um, or the characters, though I think the premise is like cute and fun. If you don't know anything about the show, it centers around this girl named Toru and her encounter with this family who are cursed with becoming the animals of the Zodiac. So there are 12 members of this family and each of them become members of the Zodiac. Uh, So there's like a girl that turns into the pig and there's a guy that turns into a dog and so on and so forth. Um, And there's this 13th character that turns into a cat, which is not in the Zodiac. And that's a whole thing. Um, So it's a cute, it's a cute story. It's not very thought provoking. It's kind of gushy, but the reason why I'm so excited about this show is because There's a voice actor who I deeply, deeply love, and her name is Laura Bailey. And she, very early on in her career, played Toru, the main character, and she has decided to reprise that role. And I'm very interested to see what that looks like because it's been almost 20 years since she's done that role. And I'm so curious to know how she's going to do that and how it's going to sound. And and in general, she is a voice actor that I follow, that I really enjoy her work. She's done a ton of stuff. And honestly, she is like 90% of the reason why I am excited for the remake. Shout out to the Critters. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about it. That's fine. You don't have to. Ugh. So, probably in the next few months, we're going to be watching Evangelion. Are we? Neon Genesis Evangelion, the original series. Uh... (laughs) Uh, It's come up many times on the show before. 
and we have no actual like real way of going and watching that series. But thank you, Netflix, for coughing up the money, I guess, because <laughs> nobody else wanted to pay for that license. So um, now we will be getting an official legal way to watch uh, the Evangelion anime series in the United States. So uh, that will be coming up soon. And Kayla has agreed that if I provide popcorn for her, <laughs> she will watch the show. Not just any popcorn. It has to be the good flavored popcorn from my favorite popcorn place. Yeah. Okay. And uh, maybe a special episode of Annie Monday to accompany that show. I wouldn't do that to our fans. <laughs> I bet there's plenty of Evangelion fans out there. Doubt it. <laughs> so if I had to think of things I'm not excited for, uh, first on my list would be Evangelion. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, we, you know, we, we've made a lot of jokes about it and I'm sure the show itself is fine. I can't imagine that it, it is the phenomenon that it is because something's wrong with it, but because of my personal exposure to it, which was totally out of order and not with it with any sort of context, it's really hard to want to go back and watch the show and remove all the biases that I have towards it. Um, so that's my personal thing that I'm not excited for. Netflix giveth and Netflix taketh away. <laughs> um, as much as I love that they have that they have uh, thrown away all the, all of their money in order to obtain that license so that I can watch it. <laughs> they have also thrown away lots of money producing things that nobody wanted, uh, such as the Death Note live, ac- live action adaptation that bombed. Not good. And I think they've, they've, I don't, have they made any other ones? I'm not sure. Uh, the only other live action one that we've seen was not actually done by Netflix yeah. is the Full Metal Alchemist. And that one is actually probably okay because it was not done by Netflix. Sure, but like Japan has also produced live action, a live action Death Note, and they've produced live action Attack on Titan, and none of them were well received. No. So to this day, like our. Our win rate with anime live action versions is not good. Uh, Alita Battle Angel just came out, and I heard that was not good either. Ghost in the Shell didn't do well. Ghost in the Shell was bad. Uh, So we're not doing well. And so if I'm thinking of, like, things in the future that I'm worried about or that I'm not excited about, it's those, more of those. Specifically, I'm aware that there is a Cowboy Bebop coming out at some point in the future. Yeah, and my fear for that one is that show has such a distinct aesthetic to it that we were talking about earlier that it feels really hard to capture that in a live action movie show. Yeah, that's absolutely for sure true. I would say that the closest we've gotten is Firefly. Mm. Yes. Okay. Both mm-hmm. have kind of the same like exploration of, you know, these different planets and, and locations and, and it's really a focus on like the characters and how they get along during these travels. And they share kind of similar like styles, I would say. A lot of people make comparisons between those two things. 
Yeah, but you know that they messed up Firefly, right? Exactly. So (laughs) what we're going to get with a live action Cowboy Bebop is either, you know, the Netflix take, which is they're going to botch it completely. Like they don't they don't even get the they don't get the thing that makes Cowboy Bebop great. They just want to produce something Mm -hmm. and make a bunch of money off of it. Mm -hmm. Or they're going to try to recreate Firefly and that's not going to work either. Yeah. All right. So we've talked about kind of our shared experiences with anime as well as our individual experiences growing up and and how we got introduced to anime and I think it it would be a good time to call it for this episode Uh, we've got a little bit more to work through and so I think it would be a good idea to split this into two parts and uh, extend the celebration for our 25th episode yeah I think both you and I didn't think that we would have as much to say as we did. Oh, it's funny how when you talk about anime you like, uh, <laughs> it's easy to gush over it for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, so keep sending your questions in. If you have any questions for us uh, based on anything you've heard today or anything uh, else that you're wondering, send those to podcast at annymonday.moe and uh, we'll answer them on next week's episode, uh, which will be part two of Annie Monday Origins. Yeah, the questions that have come in so far have been really good. So, Yeah, I appreciate that a lot. Uh, we'll also talk a little bit about how the show came about and how the idea for Annie Monday happened in the first place, which will be a fun conversation. Yeah, and if you want to learn more about our show, you can visit our website at annamonday.moe. That's annamonday.moe. And you can send those questions or comments to podcast at annamonday.moe. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Our username is annamondaycast, and you can find links for that on our website. Thank you so much to Crunchyroll for all of the anime that you provide and for the Random Button, which produces these wonderful and wonderfully terrible results. Promise we'll get back to that uh, after after, uh, the special episode. If you want to follow along with us each week, we'll have a link to the current title on our website and social media so you can watch what we're watching. Thanks also to C2A for the intro and outro music for our show, which come from his Senpai EPs, which are available on Bandcamp and other streaming services. Also worth noting, uh, coming up at some point in the near future, you may see uh, an official Annie Monday merch store where you can purchase some special Annie Monday gear. Yeah, we've been really excited about this. Yeah, I think it'll be cool. We're getting our first product in uh, pretty soon. And uh, once Kaylin and I check it out and make sure it all looks good, uh, then we'll put it up where you can buy it. Yeah. Guys, this has been a lot of fun. I'm excited to continue to show you guys like why we love what we're doing and why this podcast is really an act of love for us. I think we kind of expected this would go into two parts once we put our notes together. Um, but man, we're probably like an hour and a half into recording right now. So <laughs> the, uh, it's exceeded even our expectations. So uh, thanks for sticking in and uh, we're glad you listened. Yeah. And and even with how many questions we got, there was a lot in it and we're really excited to answer them. Yeah, we, uh, we promise we'll get to those next time. <laughs> All right. Well... We'll see you next time. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye.